Man, aren't you glad to be in the house of God today? Come on, man, it is good to be here with all of you. I'm excited today. My name is Josh. I work with our students. It's a joy and honor to be able to do that. And I want to recognize there are a lot of students in the house today. We have our high school students right up here. Come on, give it up for our high school students. And then all the way in the back, you got our middle school students. Come on, give it up for our middle school students. Whoop, whoop. They are amazing. The future of our church. And so it is awesome to be here. I love my job. I love that I get to see students. Lives are being changed. And man, I want to encourage you, if you have a student, if they're not involved in student life, get them to church. Get them involved in student life. God is really doing some awesome and amazing things in their life. And I just believe that. It's a joy and honor to be able to do that. And so today, my title of my message is Three Keys to Unlock your joy this year. Three keys to unlock your joy this new year. And I really want to talk about this fruit of the spirit of joy because joy is so important in our lives. And um, I was listening to the radio a few weeks ago and they said that the most depressing week of the year is the week after Christmas and New Year's. Why? Because no one has anyone to look forward to. All the Christmas festivities are done. No more Christmas cookies. The Christmas tree lights are down and, and the tree's down and there's really nothing to look forward to. And, and, and they look in the mirror and they're like, oh my goodness, I gained the Christmas 15. How many gained the Christmas 15? <laughs> and they look at their bank accounts and they're like, oh man, I've lost a lot of money. I've spent way too much. And so that's considered the most depressing week of the year. I also found doing some research that there is a thing called Blue Monday, Blue Monday. And Blue Monday is basically the most depressing day of the year. Why? The skies are gray, it's cold, you're stuck inside. And that day fell on this calendar year, January 17th. You made it past the most depressing day of the year. And you're almost out of the most depressing month of the year. Research tells us that January is the most depressing month of the year. So you're almost there. The love month is coming. February, aren't you glad for that? Come on. <laughs> but January, it's not, but Janu in January, people don't experience just sad feelings. It's according to research, the Washington Post, people say in the U.S. are more unhappy today than they've ever been in the past 15 years. A record low shows that only 14% of Americans say that they're happy. And I ask myself, why? We live in the land of the free, right? We have a, a nice house. Most of us in this room can pay the bills, have health insurance and benefits and a good job and your health. And we're still unhappy. Only 14% say they're happy. And so I want to talk to you today about this fruit of the spirit called joy. And I'm not here to force joy upon you. I'm not here to force happiness upon you because joy is a choice. My job here today is to tell you the benefits of when you have the joy of the Lord. And when you begin to have the joy of the Lord, something begins to shift in the atmosphere. Something begins to shift in your heart. And so I wanna to talk to you about Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah chapter eight, turn with me there. And uh, we're going to look at this guy, Nehemiah. He wrote a whole book of the Bible. He's a man of God, a prophet of God. Um, he had a God-sized goal to build the walls of Jerusalem back. And prior to that, 140 years, the, uh, God's chosen people, the, the Israelites, had been in bondage, in slavery. And now they are just done rebuilding the wall. 
And Ezra the priest is up there, he's preaching, but he's, the message is not really encouraging. It's a sad message. And so the atmosphere is very, very sad. And Nehemiah gets up in the middle of the message in, in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. Look what it says. It says, Nehemiah says, go and enjoy some choice food and some sweet drinks. I'm here to tell you today, go after church and enjoy a good meal, all right? Go to Olive Garden, go to La Fiesta, go to McAllister. Anybody with me? Come on. Go to mama's house and get some mashed potatoes, right? Because we're in the Midwest. We got to love mashed potatoes. Amen. And he's saying, go and enjoy some good food and some good drink. Man, go home, enjoy yourself some sparkling water. I love that. Go lemonade, diet Pepsi. You fill in the blank. And Nehemiah is getting up in the middle of this sad message and say, hey, go and enjoy some good food and some sweet drinks. And then he says, for this day is holy. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, a holy day in my house was like, like a super stiff neck day. Like we thought that was a super serious day, like a, <clears throat> no messing around. But I believe that Nehemiah is saying that a holy day is supposed to be a celebration day. We're supposed to have fun and enjoy life. And so catch this in, in verse, in the last part of that verse, he says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Say the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's powerful. And the audacity for Nehemiah to said that, to talk about that in a moment of history where people in that day in their lives thought they were gonna be over. They had spent their whole lives in exile, in captivity. And Nehemiah, and they've been bricklayers and they've been building this wall and they're seeing no harvest. And Nehemiah said, hey, 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 don't be sad. Don't be sad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was a big deal. There could have been people in the, in the room saying, well, who are you to, not, to tell me not to be angry or to be sad? I'm mad. I'm angry at God. There's some things that I'm dealing with. Who are you to tell me not to be sad? And if we really go deeper, I really believe that Nehemiah is asking, how do you see God? How do you see God? Because if you see God as a joyful God, then you're gonna have a joyful life. But if you see God as a sad God or a mean God or a mad God or a disappointed father, then you're gonna walk around this life always mad and sad and disappointed in people, cynical of everyone, mad at everybody. But if you look at your uh, God as, as a joyful God, you're gonna have a joyful life. And Nehemiah, I really believe he is saying that our God is not a complaining God. He is not a cynical God. He's not a bipolar God, frustrated you one day and then happy with you the next day. He is, he is consistent in his feelings. He's not like your boss. He's not like your coworkers. He's not like any other earthly personality you've ever met on this earth. He is consistently joyful, consistently compassionate, consistently merciful to your life. Aren't you thankful for the God that we serve today? That's amazing. Come on, you're the second service. Come on, I'm, I'm counting on you. <laughs> and Nehemiah says, find joy in the joy of the Lord. Find your strength in the joy of the Lord. We don't find our strength in making ourselves joyful. You can't force yourself to be joyful outside the joy of the Lord. You have to receive the joy of the Lord first. Then you can get the joy of the Lord inside of you. And I believe that God's joy, I believe God's joy is the antidote. It's the medicine to your weakness. 
How many could use a little bit more strength today? You just, man, I, I need some more strength. You get to work just a few hours at work, you're just tired. You're watching your kids, you're like, man, I'm just tired. I, I, I'm hurting. I, I feel weak and tired. And I believe the answer to your weakness is not found in a bottle. It's not found in a caramel macchiato. It's not found in another website or an affair or more money. It is found in the joy of the Lord it will be your strength. Yeah. And did you know that God is joyful and loves you even when you make a wrong decision? He still loves you. He's still joyful over you. He's a joyful dad over you. One of the best things um, that I get to do these past six months is be a dad. And we have a couple pictures. I love being a dad, man. It's awesome. Oh, man. So... <laughs> And I love being a dad, and, but what, two, you know, getting up at two in the morning, she's trying to figure out this sleep thing. She hasn't really gotten it yet. But when I get up at two in the morning last night, I'm not mad. I'm not angry with her. My feelings aren't changing for her. I'm consistent in my love for my baby girl. Why? Because I love her. I love her. And that's how God is. He is he's joyful over you. He loves you. He's consistent in your feelings. He loves you. And I would even say that you can still have joy in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your suffering. Joy is not absent in your pain. Joy is a choice that you make. And here's why. I believe that joy and suffering are connected because Paul is writing this book called Philippians. And there's four short chapters in that, in that book. And he's over that four short chapters, he mentions joy 16 times in those four chapters. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. He keeps on saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And if you don't know anything about Paul, you must be thinking, man, Paul must be having a good life. He must be making a lot of money, must be having a lot of friends. But the reality is he is writing that portion of scripture, that book in the Bible in the middle of a prison cell all by himself where the city sewers are running right by him. So he's sitting in, fill in the blank, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. I'm going to be thankful. Listen, joy is not based off your circumstances. It's not. You can still have the joy of the Lord even when you go through rough times. And so I, I can't wait to preach this and get into the three keys to unlock your joy. But I, we want to have fun today. We want to enjoy life. Ecclesiastes 8.15 says, so I commend the enjoyment of life. Life is too short to be angry or bitter or hurt uh, for someone who did something to you. It's too short. Enjoy life. I love what Proverbs 17.22 says, a merry heart, a happy heart is like medicine to the body. I love that. So listen, when you ha are happy and joyful, guess what it does? Guess what it does in my life? It begins to lower my blood pressure. I get to have more fun. No more health issues. Listen, I believe the best medicine is to have joy of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. So listen, come on, just get that. And Mary Hart is like medicine to the body. Laughter's so, so good. Every time I look at Glenn Stan, I'm like, man, I love him because he makes me laugh. He makes me smile. You ever been around people that just love to make you smile and just laugh? Man, get around those type of people, all right? And so we're going to talk about keys to unlocking your joy. Keys to unlocking your joy because there's some things that will steal your joy this year. There's some things that will rob you of the peace and the love that you want to give to others. And if you're not careful, you'll grow up in a miserable, miserable life. And so the first key to unlocking your joy this new year is to have faith. It's faith. I want to talk to you about a very common mental illness that is sweeping our country and sweeping our world, sweeping our nation right now. 
fact, 40 million Americans have this. It's the most common mental illness. It's now gone above and beyond depression. And that common mental illness is anxiety. According to Boston University, it reported that anxiety is uh, over 14 countries. A study was done. The World Health Organization uh, surveyed 14 countries. And they found that in America, Americans had higher level of clinical anxiety than any other countries that were surveyed around the world. Over Lebanon and Nigeria. And if you know anything about those countries, those are troubled areas. And even more so, 60% of adults worry. If you don't say, I don't really suffer through anxiety, but you can't tell me today, sitting in this room, that you have not worried or stressed out about something in your life. 60% of us worry and get stressed out. And anxiety and worry is a thief. It's a thief. It steals your thoughts, steals your peace, it steals your confidence, it steals your joy. And the good news is the Bible has a lot to say about anxiety and worry. And I want to pause here for a second because I want to recognize those in the house or those who are watching online where anxiety has been robbing your life for decades. Has been robbing your life for decades, years. It has stolen precious moments with your family. It has stolen your thoughts. It has kept you in bed paralyzed because of a panic attack and you can't get out and you feel trapped. And for decades, it has robbed your life. And I want to say for those who are going through this that God sees you today. He sees you. He understands for you. And he cares for you. He cares way more about your life than you care about yours. He loves you. If you don't get anything out of this message today, just get this, that he cares for you. He cares for you. He sees you. And it's interesting what Americans worry about today. We worry and get stressed out about so much. We worry about the big things and we worry about the small things. We worry about those tiny little things. Like, listen, we worry and get anxious about, did we leave the oven on? Oh, shoot, did I? You're thinking, honey, did we leave the oven on? We worry about, hey, honey, did you turn the curler off? Hey, did we shut the garage? Hey, did we lock our doors? I saw a suspicious car in the neighborhood. Did we lock the doors? We worry about all this kind of, hey, are we missing a kid? Am I missing? (laughs) Parents are like, shoot, did we are missing a kid? But we worry about everything. We worry about the small stuff. Look what what research tells us. It says 40% of what people worry about are things that never happened. 30% on things in the past cannot be changed. 12% on criticism by others that are mostly untrue. 10% on health, which only gets worse when you stress about it. And only 8% of what people worry about are real, legitimate problems. Only 8%. Recently, Amazon released a list of the most popular books and passages that were underlined in the Amazon Kindle. And they had some New York bestseller books out there. But they also included the Bible, which I love. And the most highlighted passage in the, on the Amazon Kindle in the Bible app, do you know what it was? I thought it was John 3.16. I thought it was Psalms 23. I even thought it was the Lord's Prayer, but it was none of that. It was Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which says, do not be anxious about anything, which tells me our world is struggling right now with anxiety and with worry. And I believe Philippians 4, 6 through 7 are the most significant verses that deal with our mental health. Here's why. Let's read in verse six. It says, do not be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse seven, in the peace of God, which suppresses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Oh man, God's word is living and active. 
And then God's word says, don't be anxious about anything. Your job, your health, don't go to WebMD. <laughs> Shoot, I just did that. You're thinking, crap. Don't worry about your kids, what you look like, what you're going to eat for lunch. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer. That's the answer. And all the spiritual people are like, okay, prayer? Okay, what's the real answer? Okay, but the real spiritual answer is prayer. It is prayer. It's not more Xanax. It is prayer. When you pray, anxiety begins to go away. When you turn your anxious thoughts into a prayer request and say, God, I need help with it, it begins to get a little bit smaller. Prayer is the weapon that you fight anxiety with. And I don't win against anxiety by being peaceful. I don't win against anxiety by being peaceful. I win against anxiety by having faith. When I believe in Jesus' name that God is working all things together for my good, I have faith in the thing that I'm anxious about, that I'm worried about. I had to have faith when Jessica and I went through infertility. I have faith that he is going to come through for me. He has already fought the battle for me. Turn your anxiety, get this, into thankfulness is what Paul's saying. Turn your anxiety into thankfulness and say, thank God you're going to get me through this, that you're working all things together for my good because I love you, God, and I trust you. Cast the anxiety on him. Come on, are you with me today? I love God's word. I love it. It just speaks to you. Speaking to me right now. And that's what Paul's saying in our text. He's saying, yes, anxiety is going to come. And there's things that are going to trigger your anxiety. But being anxious about it will not help. It's only going to cause more stress and hyperventilation and all this stuff. Anxiety is going to come. But don't be anxious about it. Some common symptoms, if you don't deal with it, I believe one of them is, is losing focus, zoning out. You zone out. You win your battle with anxiety, but when you get focused, right? And we are constantly distracted by this thing right here. We're always distracted. We're like, man, and we're always on our phone. We're in a place, but we're not in a place. We're mentally checked out, uh, emotionally checked out. We're not just on one app. We're on 30 different apps, right? We're on the Starbucks app. We're on the, on the, on the Bible app. We're on the, man, we're on all these apps. Listen, and I got the Facebook app open. I got the Instagram app open. I was looking at this plant app. Have you ever had this plant app? You can literally take a picture of the plant and it tells you what plant it is. It's awesome. I got the national park. Some of you guys are like, this guy's nerdy, okay? I love it, okay? And I got the national park app. I got the, I got the CLC app on there, the most important app on your phone. Psych, it's the Bible. <laughs> Caught you. <laughs> but we got all these apps open. And you're looking at your apps and you're like, okay, this is going to solve my anxiety and worry. It's not. Man, one of the ways that you can beat anxiety is to just remain focused. Focus. Calm your anxious thoughts. And so we win against anxiety. A couple things. A couple things. You, you win against anxiety by humility. Just being humble about it. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And catch this in verse six. It says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. It's verse seven, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
So Peter connects anxiety and humility together. The opposite of humility is anxiety. Why? Because anxiety is all about me. I can't do this. I won't be able to get past this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Anxiety is all about a me focus. I can't. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. It's all about a me focus. And so Peter is saying, man, dethrone yourself from your heart. Get down and be humble and say, this is how you beat anxiety. It's not up here. You get on your knees and you say, God, help me. I can't control the outcomes. I'm tired of trying to control all the circumstances. And you get on your knees and you humble yourselves and say, God, I know that you're fighting my battle for me. My anxious thoughts, you're fighting my battle for me. You humble yourself and get on your knees and say, God, I trust you. And you begin to cast the anxiety on him because he what? Cares for you. He loves you today. He loves you. You also beat anxiety by being in community. Find a small group. I can't say it enough. I love the people in my small group. We've been in a small group for a couple years now. We just recently started leading a young married small group. And I love my small group. They're my people. They're going to remain nameless because I can go on a Tuesday and I can say, hey, listen, I'm going through some stuff. Man, I had a rough week. And you know what they do? They encourage me. They pray for me. If you are not involved in a small group, please get involved in Growth Track. They will tell you how to get involved in a small group. You need a group of girls in your life. You need a couple guys in your life. They're going to stand with you when anxiety comes. And also on the flip side, be someone that stands with someone and listens to somebody when someone's going through anxious thoughts. Be someone who cares. And you're saying, well, Josh, I don't know what to say. What if I don't have the words to say? You don't have to say anything. Just pray with them. Listen to them. That's oftentimes what people want. They just want to be prayed for and that you care. And so if you're someone who suffers through anxiety, don't be the person that isolates yourself because it's so easy to do that. That's where suicidal thoughts come in, where depression hits. Open yourself up to somebody. Find someone in your life. Maybe it's a counselor, a therapist, a doctor, a pastor, your small group leader, whoever it is, open yourself up to somebody. There's so many different resources out there that can help you battle anxiety. And you beat anxiety with faith. Like I said, you beat anxiety with faith. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the convictions of things not seen. Anxiety is all focused on the worst case scenario. But faith comes in and says, I believe something good is going to happen. Fear loses its power when you begin to have faith. You start to have faith and say, God, I believe that I'm strong. I believe that you're my healer. I believe that you're going to calm my anxious thoughts. See, faith, fear loses its power when you start to have faith. Listen, do you believe that today? Come on. When you begin to have faith, it releases something in your body. It begins to say, calms your raging mind. Faith is the weapon against your anxiety today. So have faith that God wants to heal you. He wants to sustain you. He wants to guide you. All right, so the first key to unlock your joy is to have faith. Second key is this. If you're taking notes, it's attitude. It's attitude. Attitude is a big thing. <laughs> Thank you. 
Attitude's a big thing. Attitude can determine how far you go in this life. And the great thing is that God has given you a choice on what kind of attitude you're gonna have. You could choose to have a bitter, sour attitude when you come in this place, hands across the you know, arms, pockets, you know, I'm not gonna worship God. I've had a terrible week, horrible, I'm not doing this. You have a choice of whether or not you're gonna have a good attitude. God has given you that ability. You can choose to have a positive attitude. You can choose to have a joyful attitude. It's all up to you. Attitude's the way you look at life. It's the way you see people. It's the way you respond to events. Respond to yourself. And so you can choose to have a good attitude even when the negative things come in your life. You can choose to have a, neg- uh, a positive attitude even when bad things come into your life. A good attitude stands out in the future jobs you're going to look for and the companies you're going to work for. If you want a good job, have a good attitude. If you want to keep a good job, have a good attitude. If you want to get promoted faster on the job, have a good attitude. And God pays so much attention to how we treat people and respond to certain events. He pays very close attention to that. And carrying on in Philippians 4, look at verse 8 says, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And remember, Paul, he's writing this book. He's in the middle of the prison cell all by himself. He is literally choosing what he is looking at. He is choosing what he is focusing on. Listen, you don't have to let negative circumstances determine what kind of attitude you have. Paul could have easily got stuck in that mentality, in that mindset. I can't believe I'm in this prison. I was doing God's work. I was doing his will. And now I'm stuck in a prison all by myself. And he is literally choosing to focus on higher things. He is choosing to focus on the things of God. Attitude is so key to unlocking your joy. It is the key. It's the medicine to help you have joy and love other people. You can't love other people with a bad attitude. You just can't. It's not, it doesn't work. Attitude is huge. First key is to have faith. Second key to unlock your joy is to have a good attitude. And the third thing to unlock your joy today as Zach comes up and we get ready to close is forgiveness. And this one's a heavy one because people are going to hurt you. You're like, I didn't come to church to hear that, Josh. No, 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 no. But people are people. They're going to hurt you. You're going to go out of your way and do something for them. You're going to love and honor them, respect them, help them, serve them, serve their families. And they're not going to return the same type of love and honor back to you. It's painful. It hurts. And if you're not careful, you begin to carry around a bitter, sour attitude. Hold a grudge of unforgiveness. Instead of having an attitude of forgiveness, you start to start to be bitter and mad. And catch this, because what you take from last year, 2021, to this new year, 2022, will affect this new year even more than the last. How important is forgiveness? Your whole next year depends on it. To love people, to forgive people for when they've hurt you. How many fathers and sons' relationships are broken? How many mothers and daughters' relationships are broken? How much of our world's pain is broken because of this inability 
to forgive. That's why we see so many marriages end, relationships end. It's because we can't forgive. And listen, we can preach about faith and miracles and God is gonna give you your best life because he loves you and he's joyful for you. But listen, and you, listen, you can memorize the whole Bible. You can know everything to know about Revelation in the end times. But guess what? If you don't know how to love people and forgive others, you're missing the whole point. You can have all the money and wealth in the world, but if you don't know how to love people, forgive others, you're missing the entire point. You're missing what matters most. Look what Matthew 18 Verse 21 says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive them? Peter says, up to seven times? In verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so you start doing the math and you're like, okay, that's 490 times. You're like, man, that's a little extreme, Jesus. Aren't you, aren't, can we cap it off on the forgiveness no, no, that's, you're missing the point. Jesus is saying you shouldn't put a lid on forgiveness because if you live a life of forgiveness, you can take the limits of what God wants to do in your life. Listen, God wants to take you to a new level, but if you can't to learn to forgive at this level, he's never gonna take you to the next level. He wants to take you further in your walk with Jesus, but if you don't learn how to love people and forgive others, you're gonna be stuck. He wants to bless your life. He wants to show favor in your life. But if you don't learn how to love others and forgive others, man, you're just gonna come to a stall, stuck. Why is it so hard to forgive, Josh? Because I believe that's the real question Peter was asking Jesus. Why is it so hard to forgive? And I'm gonna be real, real honest. It's not, it's hard work. People who have hurt me, who've damaged my heart, hurts. The people who hurt my family hurts even more. It's hard. This is hard work. And here's the point about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is not saying what they've done was right. Forgiveness is not giving a permission slip to keep hurting me. Forgiveness is setting you free on the inside. Some of you have been bound up to this bitterness and grudge. Forgiveness is more of an internal thing than it's an external thing because it frees you. The things that people have done to you are heavy. It's heavy. It hurts. It's heavy. It keeps you trapped. It's a weighty thing. What she did to you, what he said to you, what your dad did to you when you were a kid, what that coach did to you when you were in high school, it's heavy stuff. It's a weighty thing. It hurts. And what unforgiveness does, it's like a chain. And it binds you up and locks you up. You're like, I'm never gonna forgive that person. And what it does, it robs you of joy, robs you of peace, robs you of your, of your happiness. And what it does, it binds you, it locks you up. Never gonna forgive that person, they, they hurt me. 
And God wants to take you to new levels. He wants to take you to higher places. And you keep trying to go further in your walk with Jesus and you're like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. But you can't because you're, you're chained up. You can't go any further. God's saying, man, I, I want you to be the, the husband I've called you to be. And you're like, I'm, I'm trying, but you can't because you hold on to bitterness. I'm forgetting. I'm trying. God's saying, I want you to be the mother I've called you to be, the coworker I've called you to be, the boss I've called you to be, but you can't because you're locked up of your bitterness and your unforgiveness. It changes you. You feel robbed. It hurts you. And listen, we'll forgive all the petty little offenses and the small things, but we'll never forgive the hospital that messed up. And now I don't have a dad. And now I don't have a son or a daughter. Never forgive that. And then we'll never forget the company that let my my dad go, my husband go. He gave 25 years of his life. I'll never forgive them. I'll never forget the son who bullied my son, and now my son's growing up with a life of insecurity. I'm never doing it, Josh. And what, do, what it does, it robs you of your joy, robs you of your peace, robs you of what God wants to do in your life. And you're bound, you're shackled up, you can't do it. And then, some other chains is your anxiety and your, and your fear and your worry and your stress. And man, I'm telling you, it's a weighty thing. It hurts. You're chained up in your mind. You can't go places because you're so anxious. You're stuck in bed because you're having a panic attack. You're, you're anxious about everything. You're stuck. And what it does, it, it chains you up. It locks you up. And then you couple with a bad attitude, sour attitude, I'm mad at people, cynical of everybody, they messed up my life, no way. And you become bound and chained up and locked up. And what happens is you just get so locked up, you can't find your joy and your happiness and your peace. God's saying, man, I want to give you that. But you can't experience it. And so many of us walk around this life with chains on us. Heavy, burdened. And we get used to that. We just get used to it. Like, this is how it's always been. It's always going to be this way. Never going to be set free. God's never going to restore my joy. And the key to unlocking your joy and your peace and your love and your contentment is found, but it seems so far away. You can't get it. It's gone. It's so far away. It's so gone. And you try to get, I want to have more joy. I want to have more peace, but I can't. I can't do it because you're chained. You're shackled. You can't get it. You can't find the key. And you're bound and you're, and you're shackled to your shame and your sin and your unforgiveness and your bitterness and your bad, sour attitude. 
and your thoughts are racing, you're anxious and you're worried and you're stressed. So I want to pause here for a second because most of us walk around this life like that. Ashamed, bound, in captivity, in shackles, hurting. And the good news is that God has given us the keys to unlock our joy. I believe that God's going to give some joy back, some laughter back. You've been weeping for a while, and God wants to give you some joy, but there's a couple keys to do that. The first key to unlock your joy is to have forgiveness. And this is tough, man. This This is not easy to do. But when you begin to forgive, it sets you free on the inside. It begins to set you free. It begins to loosen up some chains. And God comes in and says, man, you start to say, and here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is so radical. It doesn't make any sense because it's saying, I can't pay it back. I can't pay the debt, but I know who paid it off for me. And his name is Jesus Christ. He came to pay for it. And so you say, when you have that concept of forgiveness and saying, God, I, I, I'm going to start to forgive my dad. I'm starting to forgive the people who have wronged me, who have hurt me. Some of the chains get a little bit loose, but you're still shackled up. He can't move. TJ can't move. He's still bound up, hurt. You need another key. Second key is to have a good attitude. And like I said, one of the ways to fight bitterness and a bad attitude is to be thankful. Thank God you're going to come through for me. Thank God you're my healer. Thank God you never left me. Some of you come into this place so mad at God, bitter toward him. He's hurt you. You're offended. The second key to unlocking your joy is to have a good attitude. It's saying, God, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to not have a negative outlook on life. I'm going to start to just be a little bit more uh, forgiving toward others. Look at that. A little bit more chains come loose. But guess what? There's still some chains on him. There's still some chains that you need to be freed. And the third thing to unlock your joy is to have faith. Faith is saying, God, I trust you. I can't see you in the middle of my pain, the middle of my sorrow, but it's saying, I trust you for what you are going to do in my life. Sometimes a key is not enough. Sometimes you need God-sized strength to help you break the chains off of you. Sometimes you need a bolt cutter. You need to have some faith. Listen, and joy is not based off circumstances. You can have joy in the middle of your pain and your tears. And God's saying, I want to give you some God-sized strength. And it's saying, man, faith is saying, I have faith that I'm going to beat it. I'm going to have faith that you're going to come through for me. I'm going to have faith that you're going to heal me. I have faith that my family's going to be set free. And you begin to have that, and the shackles begin to come loose. And because you have faith in Jesus, that God will break the addiction, the pain, the unforgiveness, and you begin to walk in freedom. Come on, stand to our feet today. Come on, we're going to believe. I believe in the presence of God, there is freedom. Freedom is about to happen. There has been some change that you have been bound to, stuck in this sin and unforgiveness. And listen, we're going to sing this encouraging song about the joy of the Lord. But listen, some of you guys need to work on some of those keys. You're like, man, I'm struggling with one of the keys. 
I'm struggling with one of the keys to unlock my joy. And listen, turn that into praise. Listen, turn your worry into worship, right? Turn your worry into worship and say, God, I give you the key that's been binding me. I give you it. I give you my bitterness. I give you my bad attitude. I'm sorry. I give you my anxious thoughts. I, get, I don't want to be shackled anymore. And if you can't find anything to be joyful about, be joyful that God came to this earth 2,000 years ago to save you, to rescue you from your sin, from your shame. That's the God that we serve. He's a chain-breaking God. And if you know him, let's sing this song together today. Lord, there's joy in the 
30 seconds and just begin to praise him today. God, we are thankful for you. We love you, God. We are so humbled and honored. God, we thank you today. Come on, I'm believing that this week there's going to be some conversations that happen, some text messages to be sent out, and some relationships begin to be restored. Some good attitudes are going to come back. You're going to get your step back. You're going to get your joy back. You've been sad for a while, but God is going to come, and he's going to show you his joy. Tell God, I love you. We thank you today. Come on, in the presence of God, there is freedom. And I really believe that people are being set free today and this week and this next month. They're going to see the chains become to get loose. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in advance. God, we praise you, Jesus. We thank you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Can we, put, can we play that Joy of the House again? Oh, man. Let's sing that today. There's no formal dismissal. Have fun. Let's sing today. Come on. Shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord 